following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Luke 19, 1-10 He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the, to the place, he looked up and said to, to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has, gone, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he, is, he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Thank you, Ryan. You know, I actually think this is a pretty good week for me to have come up and led the sermon with that political content because um, today's passage, as you heard, involves uh, a tax collector. And I can't really think of a better case study from the scriptures that we have for thinking about the, the, you know, the overlap and the integration of religion and empire than a tax collector. Um, as I said last week, when I preached on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, tax collectors were seen, I think probably understandably and rightfully, by faithful Jews uh, as agents of a pagan government. So for people who were under Roman oppression, for one of their own people to be going around and collecting taxes on behalf of this, uh, this conquering empire, this oppressive government, was uh, very problematic. And so, at the time of Jesus' ministry, and really at the time of the writing of the Gospel of Luke, which we're looking at today, tax collectors would have been understood um, and seen as really reprehensible figures. They would have been considered unfaithful, bad neighbors. They would have even been thieves uh, in some cases. But, as I also mentioned last week, By the time, if we're reading the Gospel of Luke as one piece, by the time we get to chapter 19, today's chapter, we would have seen Luke flipping the script on tax collectors many times so that readers of this particular Gospel account, if not the participants in the stories that are actually related in it, would have likely come to expect a favorable character to emerge in the the character of Zacchaeus. So just a quick rundown uh, of the... Appearances of tax collectors in the Gospel of Luke. I can do it pretty quickly. Luke 3, even before Jesus' earthly ministry gets underway, we're still in the John the Baptist kind of era, the tax collectors go out to John the Baptist asking him for guidance, and they get it. (laughs) Don't ask for it if you don't want it. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is building his kind of inner circle, calling his first disciples, and one of them is Levi, who is a tax collector. And Jesus goes to have dinner at Levi's house, and there are many other tax collectors present. Not a good look for a rabbi. In Luke 7, Jesus notes that people are uh, deriding him as, quote, a friend of publicans and sinners. Not Republicans, publicans. Um, That's the King James term for tax collector, right? Um, 
He's also described in the King James in that same verse as, uh, as a wine-bibber, uh, which I think is a pretty fun King James English word. We don't use that word anymore. We don't say that anymore. Uh, Luke 15. <laughs> in Luke 15, the tax collectors are crowding around Jesus. He's, he's attracted many of them on time here. And the Pharisees scoff, which leads us very nicely into last week's parable from Luke 18, where Jesus tells a story about tax collectors, uh, a tax collector and a Pharisee who both go up to the temple to pray. And um, there's a surprising result. So we know by the time we get to Luke chapter 19 that this tax collector, Zacchaeus, is going to end up being someone who will show us a good example of how to follow God in the way of Jesus. Now, in fact, Zacchaeus is not just any tax collector. He is the chief tax collector. Did you catch that in the reading today? Um, The Greek word just uses the prefix arch before the word for tax collector. He's the arch tax collector. So think of like arch rival. He's the number one tax collector. And he's also very rich. And these two things are not coincidental. So then right away, we can, we, we can probably anticipate that this particular story is going to be the ultimate tax collector redemption story. You know, he's the arch tax collector. This is going to be the arch redemption story. And so it makes sense to me that we might take a few minutes looking at um, the story of Zacchaeus and ask ourselves, what is it going to be about Zacchaeus that makes him an admirable character? Because we know by now he's going to turn out looking good. What is it that makes Zacchaeus somebody who we might want to emulate as we have our own encounter and experience with Jesus? Now, I am not typically a three-point preacher, but I do today have three points. I have three traits about Zacchaeus that we might um, consider to be um, markers for his spiritual experience with Jesus that might correspond to be markers for our own spiritual experience with Jesus. And depending on where we are on the road with Jesus, if you'll pardon the expression, it might be for us a sign of what's coming next or a sign of a step that we maybe skipped or something like that. Okay? So here's the first thing that I think is admirable about Zacchaeus. It's that he was curious. You might say that he was open to an encounter with Jesus. He was trying to see who Jesus was, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. Why would he have done that? Well, maybe it was because Jesus had developed a reputation by now, and perhaps his interest was in the fact that Jesus seemed not to hate tax collectors like everybody else in society did. And if you are a member of a hated group of people in society and you find out that someone is maybe advocating for you or at least showing your people um, dignity, you might be inclined to get a little closer to that person. Maybe that's one reason. Or maybe he just wanted to know why his people weren't showing up for work anymore. He was the chief tax collector. And the tax collectors were, you know, maybe it was like a don't hone in on my territory kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe he was just generally curious why this strange rabbi was able to draw such big crowds. If there was an itinerant preacher coming around drawing big crowds, you might be inclined to go check it out and see what it is, right? I think of the dad who goes to a Billie Eilish concert, right? (laughs) Out of morbid curiosity and then finds he really likes her, (laughs) 
I believe I'd like to procure a compact disc of this artist's music. (laughs) (laughs) The reasons for Zacchaeus' curiosity are not explained. It just says that he was trying to see who Jesus was. Right? So maybe you have some curiosity about Jesus, and it doesn't fit into a neat category. You know, it doesn't seem spiritually appropriate. It doesn't necessarily comport with what you might think people expect of you at a church. Maybe your curiosity about Jesus is, I'm pretty sure that's all made-up nonsense. But it's interesting made-up nonsense. Maybe your curiosity about Jesus is that you do have this spiritual sense that something is there and you've never seen it before, you've never noticed it before. Maybe your curiosity about Jesus is you've grown up in church your whole life and never really paid attention and over the last few weeks, you've seen how Jesus is like, kind of messing with everybody's expectations, and that's causing you to be open to some new encounter with him. So I'd like you to think about, if you have a curiosity about Jesus, what do you think is the reason for it? What's the source of it? What is it that makes you open to something, some experience with him? So here's the second trait that I think is admirable about Zacchaeus that we might want to emulate. Zacchaeus didn't run away when Jesus approached him. And I think that's actually kind of uh, surprising. You know, when Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I need to go to your house today. If you know the story already, you're like, oh, it's so great. Zacchaeus must have been so happy. But I'm not sure without all the kind of previous knowledge of the ending of the situation, that Zacchaeus would have felt like super confident that this was going to go well, right? Because he was the chief tax collector. He was very rich. He had leveraged his position extremely effectively and had skimmed a lot off the top of his, his fellow Jews. And here's this rabbi who's saying, get out of the tree, Let's go to your house. We need to talk. I don't know that's the tone that Jesus had, right? But I could imagine Zacchaeus kind of receiving it that way. And maybe you could imagine if you are curious about Jesus and you start to kind of like peek around the corner just to get a little bit closer and then suddenly Jesus is like coming closer to you in a way you didn't expect that you might say, you know what, I'm good with Jesus. That's probably enough Jesus for me today and turn tail and run. I've seen this a lot of times, actually, that people find themselves curious, and then Jesus gets a little too close, and they become worried that Jesus is going to expose too much or demand too much of them. And so they say, you know, this was a nice little foray into religion, and that's probably good. But of course, Jesus didn't want to condemn Zacchaeus. He wanted to have dinner with him. And so much of Jesus' ministry happens around a table, which is why I love that we observe communion every week at Artisan, because even though it's not really the type of table you come and sit at, um, it's a reminder that that's where Jesus' love and grace is extended to to people so often. It was Jesus' kindness that eventually led Zacchaeus to repentance, and that's consistent with what we expect if we've read Romans chapter 2. So then I wonder, you might wonder, what is it that Jesus 
could be kind to you or me about? What's the thing that we have as our baggage that we might expect Jesus to condemn us for? And what would it feel like to imagine that Jesus is actually not interested in condemning us for that, but rather is interested in having dinner with us? And if that kindness then were to lead to a repentance, in other words, to a change of mind and a change of heart and a change of behavior, what change would Jesus be inspiring in you or in me? And that brings me to the third and by far most difficult, admirable trait that we might want to emulate with Zacchaeus, which is that Zacchaeus did the work. Here's what Zacchaeus didn't do. He did not invite the people who had been defrauded by corrupt tax collectors to sit on a panel discussion about tax collector reconciliation. He did not write an open letter to the Roman Tax Collectors Association. He did not apologize for the things he'd done wrong and promised to do better in the future. What Zacchaeus did was pay back what he had stolen four times over. And on top of that, to give away half of all he had. What Zacchaeus did was use his position of great power and privilege and economic well-being to enact justice by divesting himself of that power and privilege and those possessions. Now, he was also a person of influence. We might hope and expect that as the arch-tax collector, Zacchaeus did go and enact some systemic change. We don't see that, though. What we see is him. I am also struck by the fact that Jesus did not ask this of Zacchaeus. At least as far as the story is recorded, Jesus didn't say, you know what you should do? You've got all that money sitting there. It's not really yours, is it? Come on, Zacchaeus, what could we do? <laughs> no, maybe a little more than that. We're getting closer. Yes, I think four times what you stole would be the right amount. But then you still got all that stuff, too, don't you? What do you think we should do with that, Zacchaeus? No, there's none of that. <laughs> Zacchaeus just knows he's had an encounter with Jesus. His life and his worldview have been changed. And he's had an experience with the living God that makes him want to act. True reconciliation work is hard. It is much easier to do symbolic or gestural reconciliation work. And God knows I have done a lot of symbolic and gestural reconciliation work in my life and in my ministry. I've never done anything close to what Zacchaeus did. And I wonder how many of you have. So, Zacchaeus was curious. Zacchaeus didn't run away when Jesus came close. And Zacchaeus did the work. So what about you? What about me too? But what about you? After all, I'm the one standing up a little bit higher and facing outward. <laughs> It's sort of my job to make you ask this question of yourself. 
I just want you to know I'm asking it of myself as well. I thought maybe we could spend just a minute of sort of self-reflection. Now, I understand this is hard to do at a time in our life as a church when we don't have children's ministry and the room is maybe a little bit more noisy, a little bit more distracting, um, but that's okay. We are all in this together. If you have some paper, maybe you take a moment to jot a few things down. Maybe you tap a note into your phone. Just don't follow any of the notifications when you pick it up because who knows when you'll get back. Open up the Notes app. And I wonder, where are you with Jesus? Where, where does this process that we see Zacchaeus going through correspond to your own process? Are you in the curious stage, whether for the first time after a life of being in the church or for the first time being in a church or somewhere in between? What is causing you to wonder about this Jesus right now? How are you demonstrating that curiosity? What's your sycamore tree? Zacchaeus climbed up a tree. We don't need to make any short jokes. He just was in the tree. What's your version of that? If you're not curious about Jesus, why do you think that might be? Is it time for a fresh look that you just haven't been willing to give? What would that be like? If you have, you feel, demonstrated your, your curiosity about Jesus, and you're, you're beginning to sense Jesus responding to you, I have the question for you, what's your next step with Jesus? What's the next thing that you would do? Does that cause you to shrink away? Or are you ready to provide hospitality to Jesus and to Jesus' ideas? Are you well, willing to invite Jesus, with all the possible demands on your person and time, into your life, into your house. Even if that might mean there's an interrogation that happens. (laughs) Or are you so shocked that Jesus was real enough to move toward you that you're kind of running away right now? And then lastly... Is it time for you to do some reconciliation work? I'm not going to lie. This is probably easier for you if you have recently had a dramatic conversion experience. It's better if you just jump right into that right now. Because if you've been on the road with Jesus for some time now, and especially if you, like me, were raised in the faith, you are very likely going to find the idea of reconciliation work to be unnecessary because you've always been a good Christian, or even repellent. And the other thing I would say about this is that stories like Zacchaeus's can be kind of intimidating, because we get the false impression that it has to be an all-or-nothing thing, right? If you're in position to, to pay back four times what you or, or people like you stole, and to give away half your possessions, that would be quite admirable, but I don't think that's the minimum bar that we all have to clear And even if it is, I think we might be forgiven for taking a little while to get to that spot. Does that make any sense? I'm not trying to give you an excuse to to do this in a half-hearted way. But I'm trying to 
take away the excuse that, oh, I can't do that, so I'm going to do nothing. That is the false choice of spirituality that we fall victim to so often. It's a lie from the pit of hell. At any rate, I think we all need to be open to the idea that truly following Jesus is going to change us, and it's not always going to change us in the ways that we would have chosen to be changed. So I'm going to encourage you to take just a moment or two of relatively silent, prayerful reflection on these questions to plot yourself on the line between just curious and ready to do the redemption uh, reconciliation work and to consider which direction you're going to move on that line and, and when and how. So take a minute, open yourself to God's um, voice. Let's pray together. God, we trust that you still speak to us through the scriptures, that we can still see your activity in our world and in our own hearts and minds, in our individual lives. May we see Zacchaeus, the arch tax collector, as an example of what our own experience might be with Jesus. Help us to stay curious. Help us to stay bold and to not be afraid of what you might call us to next. And help us to have the wisdom and courage and boldness to do the reconciliation work that might come next. And we pray that this would not just be an individualized spiritual experience, but rather that it might be part of your big, grand vision of what the world should be like, that we might be participating in the recreation of the goodness that has been lost in our world. We joyfully join you in that work. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I mentioned the table earlier, and uh, no matter where you are on that that spectrum uh, between being curious and being ready for reconciliation work, Jesus invites you to come around the table and have a meal with him. And if your answer to that invitation is yes, then this communion table is for you, whether you've ever, never been here before, whether it's your 500th time, whether you're a lifelong Christian, whether it's very new to you. This table is the table not of the church, but of the Lord Jesus himself, and it is made ready for those who seek him in this place and in this time. So you can come to the table and take a piece of the bread and remember Christ's body, which was broken for you. Dip it in one of the cups. There's wine and juice there. Choose wisely and remember his blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. You can eat it right there at the table. 
May it be a symbolic gesture of remembrance. May it be an encounter with the risen Christ. May it be an act of communion with each other, with Christians all around the world and throughout time who have partaken of this same sacrament. May it be food for your hungry souls. Let's continue to worship in song and at the table. And uh, there'll be a member of the prayer team at the back of the room who'd be happy to pray with you as well if you'd like to receive personal prayer today. Our table's open. I invite you to come. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.